You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. With the McDonald's app, you can get your favorite thing delivered to your door. So if you were looking for a reason to skip washing those dishes you left in the sink, consider this a sign. Right now, get $0 delivery fee with any purchase of $15 or more, only in the app. At participating McDonald's, minimum purchase excludes tax and service fees. Delivery prices may be higher than in restaurants. Other fees may apply, not valid with any other offer, discount, or coupon. Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Welcome back to another episode of the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I'm your host. And of course, welcome if this is your first time tuning in to the show. For today's episode, I'm going to be diving into a solo chat and on a topic that I was actually requested to talk about by multiple listeners. And I think it's really awesome because it's something that I've wanted to discuss and something I personally have learned through reading different articles and listening to different podcast conversations around this topic, which is cultural and generational differences with parents. And I have to admit, this is probably pertaining primarily to my fellow Asian Americans or anyone really who had parents that immigrated to your home country. I always say that now because I realize I have a lot of listeners globally, not just in the U.S., but of course most of you guys are here in the U.S. And so I would say just anyone that has immigrant parents and has felt a stark difference and uh, less of a what would we call it less of an easy upbringing and childhood um, compared to maybe some of your friends in the, that is you know has generations already there in the country in my case I have a lot of American friends with generations and generations um, from past years where their great grandparents they even met at one point and certainly that is very different for me and um, I think over the years especially in my early 20s, I've had to learn how to navigate the difficulties that come with it. And like I said earlier, just listening to other people share their approach, their findings, and things that have helped them has also helped me. And so I really hope 
what I'm doing is just kind of passing down what I've learned. And for those of you who requested this topic and for those of you who do enjoy me sharing a bit more about what I do to set healthy boundaries and things that I do to control myself like internally and uh, keep myself in the healthiest state. Um, I hope all of this is helpful for you. So I guess I will start it with my background just for some context, especially if you guys are newer to the show. My parents immigrated from Vietnam during the Vietnam War. This is somewhat of a typical immigration story. Um, I know a lot of people of Vietnamese background also immigrated during the Vietnam War, whether that was parents or grandparents. And so in my case, it was my parents. And for even deeper context, um, I grew up with the people that I called my grandparents growing up here in the U.S., specifically in Pennsylvania. They were the people that sponsored my parents, and they met here in the U.S., but uh, individually they were sponsored by very kind and loving human beings and um, here to the U.S., and those were the people that I called my grandma and grandpa. Um, of course, I have actual grandparents. I was fortunate to meet one um, blood grandfather and one blood grandmother um, when I was seven years old. That was my first and only time in Vietnam. But of course, um, it's still very different because there is such a cultural and yeah, generational gap um, in that dynamic and so of course I felt more connected and understood by uh, specifically one grandma that I had that was my mom's sponsor in Pennsylvania and of course I think I faced a lot of the clashes early on in my childhood I think especially once I hit middle and high school I started to I would say back then I was much more acclimated into or what I would identify in American culture I think that's kind of how I would like if someone were to ask me what culture do you identify with most in terms of like how you live and and, and whatnot I would say American culture and I think my parents uh you know my father I, I would say that he has a much more balanced approach my mom on, on the other hand uh probably I wouldn't say has one or the other more, although primarily more like Vietnamese culture, um, but I think it's more of just rather than the cultural elements, it's a, it's a lot more around personal philosophy on life. And I'm going to get into that in a second, but I think that's where her and I clash a lot on. But for me, I think my biggest growth occurred, and I talk about this a lot on the show, my biggest growth occurred when I went to college. And that was from 18 to 22. And I went from this small town in Pennsylvania, a small town of 8,000 people. And I moved to Southern California and I lived in Orange County during college. And Orange County, if you guys are not familiar, is one of the wealthiest uh, you know, area codes in the US. And, and I lived particularly very much in Newport Beach, California, which is also an extremely wealthy area. Think uh, less bougie or less, uh, what do you call it, like sparkly and glam than Beverly Hills. And Orange County is 45 minutes south of Los Angeles. And I'm sure most of you guys heard of LA, Los Angeles. And so I was very much in that 
territory of Southern California. And I think I grew a lot in the sense that number one, I realized, okay, um, I, <laughs> I came from like countryside and, and that kind of environment of like average America. And, and I wouldn't even call it like average America, really. It was, it was kind of, I don't know. I don't really have words for it, but it was, it was very different than what if I were to grow up, grow up in California, I'll put it that way, like extremely different. In fact, some people probably agree with me on this, that when you come from a a hometown, like anywhere on a small place in the East Coast or Midwest of the U.S., you go to Southern California and you're like, this is a whole different world. It feels like a whole different country. And that probably goes to show how big the U.S. is and why we are such a melting pot. But being in California showed me the different side of how people live, what's possible, lifestyle changes, uh, mentality changes. And so I think the beauty in that was being able to see a different way of how people think and approach life. The place that I grew up in in Pennsylvania was so small that it definitely contributed to some of the limited small-mindedness and I have compassion, uh, especially now from all the experiences I've had, um, I have a lot of compassion for people that uh, still stay in that hometown because, quite frankly, uh, if I were to go back, uh, you know, or any time I go back, really, I am very aware that uh, I have lived in so many crazy cities and places in the world now that I understand from the lens of people that live in my hometown that they don't know any better because they have not seen what I've seen. And so anyways, that definitely expanded my thinking in a healthy way. I think I was able to balance and maintain the foundation of what I believe in and what my values are while also being understanding and open-minded to recognizing like, hey, this is a different way of life. There are some people that think this way and I think it's awesome that I got exposed to that at such a young age. That being said, I think that's probably the start of where the bigger clashes started to come about. I had a parent that... Uh, felt like I changed a lot and definitely was not pleased about it. And in hindsight, as I reflect on some of those, uh, those I guess you could say, claims about me, I think, yes, I evolved and changed as we do as humans, right? And I think what happened was uh, because this parent, and both my parents really, I mean, they, they're still in Pennsylvania where I grew up. But the reality is some of them have not seen what I have seen or experienced what I have experienced. And so, of course, if you're staying, and I would apply this to friends too, right? If you are expanding and growing and you're learning about new different things and um, trying new things in life, and you have friends, whether from high school or college, and they're kind of staying in the same boat, and they start to be resentful towards you because you're growing and you're trying new things and you're living your life in a different way, they're going to definitely make those kind of comments too. And so um, I think one way I was able to overcome that, um, because it got really annoying, you know, it gets really annoying if you have a friend or family member saying, wow, you've changed a lot, you're a different person, blah, blah, blah. I think when you when you get that kind of comment, I would ask yourself the first question. Number one, are you happy with the person that you are, right? Because if you're not, then maybe 
there is a actual conflict with that and maybe there's something good that this person is saying and, and it's actually beneficial for you. Now, the difference is if you are genuinely and deeply happy and aligned with the person that you are, if I were you, I would do my very best to not take that comment personal or feel the need to push back on it. Because I think what happens is the overarching theme, people who have not done their own development, growth, and natural change that comes with life, they're going to feel, I guess, almost like left behind as they see other people that were once either close in their life or maybe in the parent scenario where they once raised you, right? They kind of almost have this idea or expectation that you are going to be a certain way. And when you defy what that looks like, they're going to start to hate it and not like it and try to make you feel bad for it, right? That's quite frankly what happened to me. I evolved to be a very expanded, uh, growth-minded person, um, developed my own principles, developed my own values, a lot of which that I uh, like love about myself, a lot of which that my friends embody. And it's just something that was really hard for my parent to understand, especially because some of it clashes with the cultural norms. So I think an example of that is being vulnerable, open, and having dialogue, um, especially honest dialogue. That is something that is, from my knowledge, kind of not a norm in most of Asian culture, really. I, I'm pretty certain, like, even in Japan culture, and I would say this probably is a very close parallel to uh, traditional Vietnamese culture, which is saving face, right? So, you know, here in the US and I would, I'm sure in certain parts of Europe too, really, it's it's just that it's, it's a bigger practice in modern day to address conflict or to talk about things directly and to um, improve ways that we approach it, right? So when I, when I talk about conflict, it's not about being uh, going head to head and being aggressive and angry or in anything like that. It's, it's really just having a conversation around it, talking about it, not sweeping it under the rug. Um, and of course, I think when it comes to vulnerability and being open, like the way I am on this podcast, it's definitely discouraged from cultural norms, especially in Vietnamese culture, again, according to a parent of mine. But I think as I have grown this show as i've connected with you guys in my dms i'm learning that you some of you at least appreciate that i share what i've experienced in my life whether it's super personal or you know whatever that is i'm learning that it helps you navigate the those same obstacles in life especially if you are a fellow asian american or any kind of second gen third gen um if you feel that difference like you know, I, I have felt it for most of my life. And I think that's probably the biggest hurdle I've had to overcome. Um, and it's kind of not talked about frequently because I think it's almost like one of those things my friend told me, actually, you know, that emotional and verbal abuse is there. There's <laughs> you don't see the bruises, right? You don't see that kind of same trauma that you might see and feel from someone that was uh, physically harmed. And I'm not, you know, trying to compare them by any means I'm just kind of saying like hey you know I was once there in the position of not really knowing whether like uh, it was worth even talking about because it felt like I was supposed to get over it or this is just how life is and and I guess to to a degree it's kind of how life is but I think it's how we take lessons from those experiences and how we 
use them in a positive way to navigate the direction we go in. I think that's how we improve and continuously improve in our life. But yeah, it's interesting when it comes to vulnerability and and I guess kind of the saving face stuff, you know, I have noticed a tremendous difference in my relationships across the board, whether it's with colleagues or friends or a potential romantic partner, when I am just open and sharing and and just not in the fear state, which I think of when I uh, look at the uh, Hawkins scale of consciousness, I've referenced this guy before, Dr. David Hawkins and his book, Letting Go, highly recommend just kind of looking into his work and consciousness and what he talks about. But something that my friend Elia taught me two years ago is just the concept of being in the state of love. And for my personal experience, when I am in the state of love and gratitude, I'm just a lot more open and I'm in receiving mode and I people can feel that vibration, right? And compared to if you're living in fear, like someone's going to take advantage of you or someone's going to take what you're sharing and twist it and all these different things, right? You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Something I have used to help me remove that fear around being vulnerable and open with people. And of course, right, to an extent, there are boundaries and there are um, markers, if you will, that you use with certain people in terms of how deeply open you are, right? Because you can't be naive either. And I think that's important. That's such a people skill. For me, I don't live in anxiousness or fear around that because I think, number one, as long as I am being true to who I am, that's what matters most. Number two, if someone is going to do something bad to me, like, you know, let's say if I'm open to them and they take those things and try to spin it and use it against me, however that is, right? Um, that's not going to impact me negatively the same way that it's going to to that person who's speaking it, right? There's this saying, um, I'm, but I'm gonna butcher it, but it's just along the lines of how when you talk poorly about someone, it reflects more on you than it reflects on the person speaking about you. And that's actually something that um, one of my parents, they have that philosophy on, well, if you're too open, people will talk bad about you and all these different things and people will think of you in a certain way. And that's a huge clash in my personal philosophy, which is I genuinely do not, I hate to say it, but like I, I don't quite care that much about what other people think of me. Um, of course, there is going to be certain limits to that and because I'm human, but I think I've, I really have grown to the point, and mind you, it took years, okay? And this started with, with, and this started with reading the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson, obviously a bestseller and something I read, I think, junior year of college. And this was, this was at a time where 
I really cared what other people thought about me. I really cared how I looked to other people and, uh, you know, what my story looked like. Like, all this kind of, like, bullshit, right? And I caught myself and was like, Emily, it's time to learn how to not care. And I think his book came out, like, one or two years prior to me reading it. So um, it came at a good time in my life. And it, it, it really made me laugh. I just remember thinking, like, why do I care if, I don't know, I'm throwing in a random name, it's like, who cares if what Susan or Bob thinks of me, right? Uh, the world moves on, quite frankly. That's something my brother used to say too. Like, if I, uh, you know, if, if something bothered me or if I made a comment, he'd be like, oh, and the world moves on. And I think that's the truth. Uh, and so I think you have to be careful how much you let come into your mind and essentially kind of dictate your life, right? Because if you care so much about what someone else thinks of you, or how they're going to perceive you, you are more or less actually allowing their views dictate how you live life. I mean, truly, just think about it. So I think that's, uh, I guess, the overarching foundation of how I've been able to just consistently and naturally tap into the state of love and gratitude and receiving, of course, always a work in progress, um, but instead of fear and anxiety, and all of those natural tendencies that are also lower vibrations. And just by kind of breaking it down almost logically and recognizing like, hey, you know, um, it's, it's not beneficial for you to be scared of those things because some of those things are inevitable no matter what you do. Some people are going to betray you. Some people are going to hurt you. Some people are going to say bad things about you. But hey, that is life. I cannot control other people, but I can control the type of person I am. And how I lead that in life is I always think about what kind of person do I want to show up as? Sometimes I have to backtrack and be like, well, if you want to show up as this person, which since the age of 20 or 21, since I was realizing like there are a lot of character traits I need to shift into, which is high integrity, honesty, and just being a selfless person, I think those were the three characteristics I really wanted to tap into more. I went looking for more people like that to bring into my life because if I see them as examples, I will also embody those traits as well. And so remembering that I can only control that and who I am and who I show up as, I think that's the best thing I can do. And I think, you know, funny enough, I was sharing this on a catch-up conversation with this young girl um, who I more or less kind of mentor in some ways but you know she's she's so like cutely stubborn in the way that she wants to improve the world so much on so many different aspects and I think it's very admirable and we get in a lot of like heated debates about this but what I did tell her recently is that you know it's amazing that you want the world to to be and change and do all these things but something you'll learn that I've learned as I'm eight years older than her is that the best thing you can do is to just show up and be a better human being and create a domino effect for the next generation and for those around you. That's the best thing you can do. And so I don't do the, the tit for tat or an eye for an eye type of thing. If someone hurts me, I'm going to do the same to them. Because little do I know, because I've seen this as well, when I have observed someone else get hurt or been wronged and they reacted in such a loving, compassionate way, 
for me, that set the bar really high. It made me go, oh shit. Like, I don't have to respond in such a negative and, and evil way. And, and that was awesome for me to observe. And, you, you know, you just never know how that can be a domino effect for one, two, three other people. Um, and so I think that for me is my personal philosophy. Like, that's the best thing I can do is just show up as a better person and just be the best human being that I can possibly be. But hey, look, the truth is with that, uh, even though I say that and I embody the qualities that I want to embody and I'm surrounded by most people that also embody these traits, I, ha- I still have a parent that disagrees with it. I still have a parent that doesn't actually see me that in that light because they are so blinded by their own, you know, like colored lens view of how A, I'm supposed to be, especially as a female, which I'll get into, um, but you know, there's there's definitely some biases, if you will, on how I should be because I am the daughter and I only have one other sibling who's a brother and he's older than me and so he certainly has had a different experience because, you know, in those traditional views, men are treated a little differently and women are treated a little differently in the sense that Uh, what is possible for one might not be the same possibility for the other and vice versa and it's just kind of silly traditional stuff that um, for the most part I disagree on and so I think for example I'll, I'll give a basic example I think being a daughter of a Vietnamese immigrant parent um, especially on like the female side it can be really tough to fathom that the daughter is independent and smart and and can handle uh you know being at peace with her own solitude that from my experience seems to be really surprising and also is what clashes with this parent because since I was 18 I've quite frankly been on my own and and I lived on my own since I was I think 22 Uh, once I graduated from college I moved into my own apartment and I think that just is not a familiar programming to the cultural norms. Um, Again, speaking only from my uh, personal experience. And I've had to kind of push back on that. Not about like how I'm living, not just about how I'm living my life, but really the philosophy around that. And also acknowledging that I can be independent and on my own and savvy enough to navigate the world, but also not have to... But that doesn't mean that I am hyper-masculine or, uh, as I was told at one point, like maybe uh, too much like my brother, right? Because like apparently that's maybe more what the brother can do, but for the girl, you might need more, I don't know, like hand-holding or, uh, you know, you can't do that on your own, like that kind of mentality. Um, so it's, it's really interesting because I think... I have evolved as a now 26-year-old to believe that, to believe and prefer a level of independence, a healthy level of independence in solitude within myself. But that also doesn't mean that I'm going to ride this whole, I'm super independent and I don't need a man. I think there is a sweet spot with that view and I think the parent might have had a perception that I would be like too hyper independent which I understand because again I I have seen that in some people as well but I do think that if you know and become more aware as you grow 
on what matters to you what you value like I value relationships a lot especially the ones with people that align with me and so those are always going to be a priority in my life and I think that's the same thing when a romantic partner comes into the picture I am not going to be all like well I'm independent and I can do this on my own and I don't need you I think um, as I've gotten older I've learned how to make space for a person like that and to allow them to take on a role that fits well in a dynamic with me that enables me to not have to be always so independent and um, I guess what's the word like like showing that I can rely on them for something I think that is where and I probably am speaking on observing myself from when I was like in my early 20s there was probably a level of oh I'm really independent I don't need you to help me and I think as I've gotten older there's this realization like there's actual strength and self-awareness when you can let the right person speaking in a romantic context let the right person come into your life and serve in a role that suits you in the way you want and need and that's once again I think a philosophy if you will that um, I guess from a cultural parent perspective probably can't really see eye to eye on with me because I think what I'm really alluding to is You can have the best of both worlds. I think uh, if you reverse it, where women, especially back in the day and and talking about in like some cultures, but I think across the board, really, women had to often rely on their partner for financial and, you know, those kinds of needs. And that's often why they stayed in relationships and or marriages that were not fulfilling and I think that can be a burden on any woman's life to not have a level of independence on the financial side but also just on a emotional and mental aspect right like I I think that's the biggest thing is if you can't find solitude in being with yourself I think you're going to be in trouble whenever you go into a relationship because you're going to eventually snap into that attachment style that you have and become slightly codependent and mind you I've experienced this this happened in my first relationship in the first year and a half of that relationship and of course that lasted for about you know that total of that relationship was about three and a half four years but you know, it was something that I overcame, something I learned, and we were able to create time apart and find healthy time together, and it was a huge learning curve, but I've also grown to really enjoy time with myself, and um, some activities I would recommend if you want to dive into that is to go to a museum by yourself, to go to dinner by yourself. I know this can seem scary, but trust me, you do it once and you do it a second time and go to places that are comfortable, okay? It doesn't have to be a fancy restaurant. Just go to a place that you genuinely like and talk to your waiter. Like, don't feel embarrassed by it. Mind you, no one's really actually paying attention to you eating by yourself. One or two people might glance over, but they're going to carry on with their night and that's how it works. And I think um, small activities, go on a walk by yourself, go travel by yourself, do all those things so that you know you can rely on yourself and that you're comfortable doing those things. But once again, the sweet spot is knowing that you don't always have to do that either, right? Knowing that you're capable of doing it and knowing that you also love being with other people and, and love sharing those experiences. So I think it's finding the balance and um, 
once again, that's just a personal philosophy that I think was not always <laughs> healthily understood uh, from a cultural difference and maybe even generational difference with a parent. But yeah, that's just kind of a view I have. And I don't, and perhaps this one might be how, and perhaps it's one of those that you guys also experience as well. Okay, so I'm going to share some final tips around how I manage it and have learned to navigate it over the years. I think the biggest one for me is setting boundaries. And <laughs> I have to preface that, especially if there's even language barriers and whatnot, um, but I think this is especially on a cultural thing. If you try to explain to your parent or parents that you are setting boundaries that they cannot speak to you a certain way or they cannot enforce certain things onto you uh, into your life especially as an adult they're definitely not going to understand and they might even think like you were disrespectful for even trying to set boundaries so I just want to set that as a preface because I've also kind of experienced that um, but one thing I've learned from setting boundaries, and, and I think an example of that is maybe limiting how often I connect with certain family members or limiting what I share within the family, things like that. Those boundaries allowed me to continue to live my life in alignment with the person that I want to become because it really goes two ways and Gary Vee talks about this as well. You either live the life that your parents want you to live and then later on you resent them or you live the life you want to live and maybe they're going to hate you or dislike what you're doing for a few years or, or however long that might be. But eventually you are going to be on a path that is so aligned with you is going to allow you to be happier that eventually, if I think oftentimes they always say, well, we just want you to be happy. It's like, okay, well, allow me to be happy on my terms, right? Like it's not going to be, I'm going to be happy on your terms. It's just not going to make sense. And so while it's going to be difficult at first, uh, one thing that I did, um, I think back in college was I started just doing things that felt right to me. I started traveling. I remember my first solo trip, I went to Portland. I didn't share that with my parents. Um, however, I did share, because it was my first solo trip, I shared that with super close friends just to make sure, you know, they knew where I was or just like knew that I was going on this little trip. And it was super easy. And I just think that sometimes there are certain topics or certain things that you'll, you'll notice with patterns that maybe a parent or parents have overreaction to and you realize that reaction just doesn't make you feel great but you know that doing whatever it is that you shared with them makes you feel great it, whether it's doing a certain I don't know sport or maybe pursuing a certain degree or maybe changing a career path whatever um, oftentimes that's that might bring up a clash but maybe the next time instead of sharing with them just go ahead and do it without telling them. And you know, another example, I left my corporate job without telling my parents because, and mind you, I was actually kind of advised this from my fellow entrepreneur friends, some of which also have cultural differences with their parents. And they, they gave me a fair warning. They're like, yeah, it's not gonna be pretty if you tell them in advance, it might even disrupt your flow. So when you feel ready and when you feel aligned to leave the job, and you have a clear idea on what you're going to do next, go ahead and do it. And 
tell them later. Tell them, <laughs> tell them once you're already in good progress with whatever you're doing next. And funny enough, I sat next to this guy um, on the way to LA like a couple months ago and he's Indian background and he shared about how he dropped out of college. This kid was like 22 and he actually ended up recently selling his company um, and he just did an awesome job with for himself. But uh, for the first year after he dropped out of college, his parents did not know. They thought that he was still in school. And to this day, after selling a company to the company StockX, which is a huge company, his parents sometimes think he should just go back to school, which is hilarious, right? So I think uh, that's why you just have to have a self-awareness of what is going to be a healthy conversation and worthwhile share with your parents or your family members and what is not going to be. And that is just a practice you're going to have to learn to utilize time and time again. And the one thing that has helped me in that process is also, while I might not be super tight with family members because some of these differences are just so strong and make it really difficult for and adds a lot of friction, I have cultivated a lot of incredible, incredible friendships over the years, some of which that are kind of like siblings and, and family to me, right? I think that's something I have observed in life is if you develop really meaningful, close relationships with people, they start to feel like family. And uh, what's that saying? Um, you know, I don't know, like uh, there's there's blood family and there's chosen family. And I think that's something I've worked hard to cultivate by finding people that share a similar personal philosophy and principles in life and are also supportive of me and understanding when I share some of the tidbits of what goes on in my family experiences and how that's different from theirs, especially if they're American. And to have people that are understanding and caring and loving through that process has made such a big difference. And so I would encourage you if you are a young college listener and you understand and feel some of these cultural and generational differences with your family, definitely seek a support system and start to create types of people that emulate the values that you wish your blood family had, you know? And I don't think it's, you know, a good or bad thing at all because I know sharing this, and for all I know, I might have a parent listening to this might be thinking it's so shameful that I'm sharing all this kind of stuff. But the reality is I, I, I know this happens to a lot of different kids. I've heard this through conversations in person. I've heard this on other podcasts. I've read this in articles and it's very common. So don't feel like you are alone in this process in navigating cultural differences and generational differences with your family. Um, but the best thing you can do is find other people that understand it and empathize with it and, and work towards just being the best version of yourself, right? At the end of the day, um, as long as you are aligned with the person that you are, you can't, you can't be mad about that. There are going to be people like family that might be mad at you for doing you, quite frankly. But guess what? They have to get over it. And in my honest opinion, I think um, if you are happy with the person that you are and you are hitting the nail on the head with the, the different areas of your life and you're building awesome relationships and a path for yourself, I don't know why parents or family members can be so mad at you, right? 
Because then to me, I think that's a sign that they have got too much time on their hands to be too hyper worried or too upset at you for living life on your own terms. And so I would just keep that in mind. Um, I know it's hard to not take it personal and to not get frustrated around it, but all that to say, uh, for me, just having different people in my life to give me healthy thoughts and good feedback um, in that process and also just being a great support system, that's the best thing I did for myself over the years. So I really hope you can find that as well. All right, so that was all for today's solo episode. I hope, especially for those of you who requested this topic and have been requesting it for a while, I hope this was helpful in some form or another. And if it was, please, please, please be sure to actually message me on Instagram. I do love chatting with you guys. I love hearing your stories. I love hearing you even vent to me if you need to. Um, I love getting personal with you guys. So please don't be a stranger. Message me on the podcast Instagram at what fulfills you or my personal one at Emily E. Duong. It's all linked in the show notes. And again, Thank you so much for being a longtime listener and supporter of the podcast. You can continue to support the show by purchasing some good old merch, especially the best-selling card game. It's going to be so fun for the fall season. And if you think about Friendsgiving in November, it's such a great game for that. So definitely check out all the merch at whatfulfillsyou.com. Little promo code 10% off is included in the show notes. So that is all, you guys. Thank you again. I will chat with you in the next episode. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.